Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Almost Human, episodes four and five. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I've already got some ideas about my alter ego. John, Fantastic. What? Why don't you discuss that with Detective Paul? He spent half his career working vice. He'll be prepping you. Valerie is building you a cover with a criminal background. Would I wear a disguise? Can I wear a disguise? I don't know. I sure. Something sophisticated, European. Yeah, absolutely. Good man. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that looks at the future through yesterday's TV screen. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'm enjoying these openings every time. Also, because the uh, listener doesn't know, that's like the 10th time Luke's tried that. <laughs> so uh, I really just, I, I want to have one of the ones where uh, you, you aren't quite as articulate, but uh, either way it works. Shh, don't pull back the curtain. Yeah, how, how it works. <laughs> All my, uh, 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 that I cut out every time. <laughs> that's the noise I make constantly. Well, Jordan, we're back for some more Almost Human. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, I mean... Another look behind the curtain, as I think it's been a month, almost a month since we've recorded an episode about Almost Human. But no one will be the wiser because it's, it'll come out the week after the other one. It's true. They all come out in order. So nobody knows. We'll just be much older and wiser. Yeah. Don't tell anyone, listener. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, which is good. It was nice to take a little break, I think. Uh, I agree. It felt like coming in and, and uh, uh, meeting up with an old friend watching these episodes yeah you're the break in between really i I think i actually think my ratings of these are higher than they normally would be my normal curmudgeony self just because i had a break and so i I like appreciated it a little more no this is this will be very interesting then Mm -hmm. well before we get started i think we've done this before in past ones where we kind of like reimagine what this show would be in the current era but since this was like what 2014 like three Four years ago? Five years ago? Five years oh, ago. 2019, gross. Um, time, where does it go? Uh, this time we decided to go a little different. This time we're going to pre-make Almost Human. There's music there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Uh... Anyway, pre-make, what's that mean? Uh, the premise of this is, is we're going to imagine if Almost Human was made as a major blockbuster movie still, but this time in the 1970s. Yeah, and I have to say, I enjoyed doing this more than I think maybe anything we've ever done. <laughs> well, this is way up your wheelhouse. Yeah. Every time we do a reboot, you don't know who any current actors are, Yeah. but you know who everyone from the 70s and 80s is. Yeah, so I mean... It, after I did this, I because w- we're going to do this as if it's let's say just 1975. It's a, a mid 70s. It might be maybe. 79 for some of my people, but right, sure. right, yeah, sure. somewhere it, it might not work. But right after this, I was like, oh, let's do the 60s, let's do the 80s, let's do the 50s. Like so you can just go on and on. It's way more fun go, to go backwards and go like Burt Lancaster, you know? <laughs> Who? Burt Lancaster. Come on. I don't know who that is. Oh, come on. The kids hashtag Burt Lancaster. <laughs> A big time actor. I'll Google it later. Well, let's get to it then. Uh, Since this is your sort of idea, I'll let you kind of maybe take the lead. But should we start with John John Kennex, Detective John Kennex? I have two different people that I think would work. I I went through 
my list is so long. I really, I just had to cut down because there's too many cool leading men this could be, and each takes it in a different direction. But I have two that I think both work for very different reasons. I can't wait to see if we match or not. Okay. I, I, I purposely picked two people I don't think you, you would have chosen. I'll, I'll say, right off the bat, the first person I really wanted was Steve McQueen, but I don't think I don't think he's the person. He's not one of my choices, but I just wanted to throw it out that every time I just wanted Steve McQueen for every role. <laughs> um, but the first person I picked, which I don't know if he would have done this movie in the 70s, but I think has that kind of uh, leading man charm, uh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Interesting choice, right? Yeah, all right. And now my second, going in a very different direction, this would be more of a late 70s sort of pick. And if you really want that sort of like just smirk to the audience all the time, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds was my first choice as well. Wow. If you want leading man smarm, yeah. go to the source. Well, I think I think that's what it has to, we have to go with Burt Reynolds. Well, well, who's your other choice? Do you want to hear my second choice though before you jump on the Burt Reynolds bandwagon? Yeah, I do, yeah. Charles Bronson. You know what's funny? He was on my long list too. Charles <laughs> Bronson was on my long list. But I thought, no one's going to enjoy that. Only me. I'm going to be the only person who's going to watch him just come in and kind of mumble his way through it. I think it just takes this character in two different directions. Yeah. One is like a real asshole. As soon as Charles Bronson's involved, it becomes a very different movie. I, I think Burt Reynolds, though, is your pick. I think that's, this is a late 70s. He's too, just, ugh, He's oily. perfect for it. Yeah. I mean, and then we Hold matched. No, let me ask you though: is, does he is with mustache or without? Oh, with mustache. With mustache. Okay. I mean, what's the point otherwise? Right. Without mustache, that's insane. Well, in in Deliverance, he doesn't have a mustache. Those were different times. Yeah. When he was a serious actor, <laughs> he was never that serious. Anyway, who 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 do you have for Dorian? All right, Dorian. I only have one pick for this. Oh, interesting. I've got two. One, I went with Fred Williamson. Oh, okay, yeah. Noted, noted sort of black exploitation actor. Yeah, yeah. Also a very good actor. Uh, he was in the Inglori- original Inglorious Bastards. And the other one, I kind of was going through the list of people who were kind of like black 70s actors because I thought I would sort of keep it pretty close to the character as he is. And uh, I decided to like, shake it up a little bit, though. And I, because I, I was looking through who his possibilities, I'm like, you know who'd be great? Grace Jones. Oh, that is a good pick. That's, that's different. See, I, I did something... It's not similar, um, but also kind of looking through who was kind of big at the time. And I only have one pick. Now, mixing with Burt Reynolds, this might be too funny a movie. But my choice was Richard Pryor. <laughs> wow. I know. And then I was, I was like, well, does the other guy have to be Gene Wilder? Is that what this has to be? But uh, but I thought... I mean, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I think Grace Jones is quite the... Uh, I mean, I went with her because... I know. I, th- I think that's what it has to be. Dorian is like too beautiful just like grace jones but also looks like he could just beat your ass into the dirt just like grace jones mm-hmm. it, it, it seemed right to me no i think i think she's the choice this you is a movie right now this is this is a hell of a movie yeah. burt reynolds grace jones almost human <laughs> all right detective valerie Stahl, the love interest mm-hmm. i got two picks again my first is, she might have been a little too old by the time this come out if this is the late 1970s, um, but uh, Catherine Ross is my first guess. Not not a huge star maybe in her own right. I don't know who that is, you have to tell me. Catherine Ross was in, I mean, there are probably two movies you would have most likely seen her in is The Graduate and uh, Bush Casting and the Sundance Kid. Okay. She was the female lead in both those movies, if you remember her face. Very, very uh, stunning face small petite features sure. um brown hair and the other um uh, actress i chose was ali mcgraw 
I'm only vaguely aware of Ali McGraw as well. Well, this again, this is my wheelhouse. But I, but Ali McGraw would be great. But then then I was like, when I thought I was going to go with Steve McQueen, I was like, is this too much? Because they were a thing. Ali McGraw, Ali McGraw and Steve McQueen. And I, I, I really overthought this, by the way. But well, it's kind of fun being on the other side where now I feel like you not knowing who he is. Or I feel like the listener also not knowing who anyone we're talking about is. Well, I, I hope people know who some of these are. Some of these people are great actors. I just watch something other than Fast 18 or one of these stupid movies with johnny tutu in it or whatever you know what are these stupid zz whatever his name is oh my god um yeah Burt uh, lancaster am i right kids <laughs> Burt lancaster <laughs> all right all right all right let's get to my i you're blowing my mind right now so i need to get back to my so, so my you, you weren't you weren't too big on those is what i'm getting i'm not opposed to them you'll just have to tell me who's the best because i don't know right. who they are Obviously, you'll know these two because you know everyone from this era. I went with Sybil Shepherd. Oh, okay. Or Daryl Hannah. Hmm. Because I mean, hmm. I don't know them very well, but I kind of looked over their filmography at the time. I'm like, uh, either of these actresses could be wasted on this role. <laughs> this yeah. like non-character who is just the love interest for Burt Reynolds. This is a tough one. I still kind of want to go with Ali McGraw. All right. She's a b- big star in the 1970s. I will. I will give it to you. I, I'm not. I'm not like on board with any of mine that hard. Okay. So. so who do we got so far? All right. So far, we have Burt Reynolds, <laughs> Grace Jones, and Ally McGraw. This is an expensive movie already. Yeah. It's gonna, this movie is going to be at least two million dollars <laughs> yeah, in 1970s I know, I know, is money. That funny. Yeah. Um, so who do we got next? Is All right. It, I had Rudy Lom next. The, oh, okay. uh, the tech guy. Oh, I had. I have two odd picks for this. Who do you have? You want me to go first? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll go first. I have. Two very different ways of going with it. But I think both have their potentials. I went with Charles Grodin. Oh, I like that. I did never would have thought of Charles Grodin. I think it might be a good choice. He, uh, I can't even think of something he's in, but like he just kind of has the face where he'd be like a bit of a snarky tech guy. Charles Grodin was one of my favorite uh, uh, Johnny Carson talk show guests. He <laughs> <laughs> was always very good. How old are you? I'm very old. Um, and then my other pick was uh, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> okay that's funny I, I i don't think it could be ernest borgnine but that's funny because i just pictured his face his weird little teeth listener jordan was literally taking a drink he almost did a spit take for some reason <laughs> ernest borgnine that's funny but you could see him talking about sex robots yes i could yeah i i do like that i kind of almost want to make a new character just for borgnine to walk around <laughs> he's the he's the local janitor or something listen anytime you put borgnine in a 70s movie i'm there well it's funny i i came up with two also uh sort of disparate actors um one being john Cazale. if you know who john Cazale is he was in he only made about five six movies in the 1970s he, he played fredo in the godfather oh he's in dog day dog afternoon. afternoon yeah he's and, there's a documentary about him yeah anyways great actor died very young yes uh almost just played deer hunter he almost just played like kind of nervous um kind of uh, introverted characters right 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 um and i thought he'd be good and then i thought i would just go and entirely in the other direction and i don't know if you know this actor you know if you saw his face but you know who klaus klinski is i think i do i, I oh is he bug eye see he have these bug eyes come out of no, his head no no he looks like i'm the, thinking of someone else this guy oh yes klaus klinski yeah he's creepy right can you imagine looking at that and you're going to get a robot you'd be like oh what are, what are you doing there is it, wait no that's uh rucker howard i'm thinking of rucker howard well, he's there, there's a, there's a bit of that. He's got a bit of that feeling, but uh, yeah, he's just a creepy looking dude. Well, what do you think? I'm 
I don't know. Ernest Borgnine really is making me to your dead guy just because he only had a few roles, and imagine one more role, and it's this one. Yeah, but I'm also still not opposed to Charles Grodin or Ernest Borgnine. Oh yeah, Charles Grodin. Yeah, I don't know. I, I this one's you. You pick this one. These, I, these are all really different. I can't. I don't know them well enough. You have this. It, has it, to it be also yours. it also shows a little bit about this role that apparently it could be anything. Anybody could play it. Why don't, why don't just just for just to make it fun? Let's just say Charles Grodin's doing it. All right, great. Charles Grodin's there kind of being grumpy about it yeah he brings a different thing to the character everyone brings a different thing mm-hmm. to the character we're really excited about this movie <laughs> all right i'd watch this movie final piece of casting sorry detective paul i don't care about you and you're not getting cast but uh captain sandra maldonado okay i changed this up slightly because i thought if this is a 1970s movie there's no way the captain would be a female so i've changed it to a male role sorry it's the 1970s there's no way you're right it's the 1970s fault not yours no it's not my fault it's not my fault i didn't i didn't i wasn't even alive so anyways i'm just saying this role would have been a male role i'm pretty sure so i changed it to sam maldonado um and first i was i was like do i do like burt young or jack warden and i wasn't sure but then i thought i've got it robert shaw oh yeah from jaws i love robert shaw i mean Although I don't know, Robert Shaw butting heads with uh, uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, like, there's no way Burt Reynolds is beating Robert Shaw in an argument. Well, they're kind of pals, I guess. Um, but there's got to be a scene where he's like, "Give me your badge and your gun." <laughs> All right, who's your next pick? That was it. That's because the other ones I was like, ah, they don't really work. I just wow, you're so committed. Yeah. Well, Robert. because I switched it to a, to a male role because I'm horrible apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, in this 1975 or whatever, there's no way the captain would be a female role. Well, I kept it as Sandra, um, and it took me a little while, but I got it down to two names. Okay. I got it down to Audrey Hepburn, huh. who, she's on the edge, she'd be about 39, yeah, 40, right. so uh, maybe a little younger than our current captain, but workable, I thought. And then I think I think this actually might be a good call. You'll see what you say. Uh, Betty Davis. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, let's give it to Betty Davis. <laughs> That's great. I went and watched some talk shows of her in the 70s, and she like has this really like bobby, like 70s housewife haircut, but looks very severe the whole time. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's a great pick. All right. Betty yeah. Davis it is. Sorry, Robert yeah. Shaw. Yeah. You can be her husband. <laughs> so who's who's directing this masterpiece? This masterpiece, that's, I, I, this is at least now 2.3 million. Directing this? All right, I'll give you my two. So I went with two different directions on this. William Friedkin. He, you know, I was originally going to put him down as one. I, he, I didn't. He's just that '70s cop movie guy. Like yeah, he, he feels right for it. But I'm like, it's a cop show. It's also a science fiction show. And who is making good science fiction in 1970? George Lucas. Those are both good picks. And I'm going to say also because I, I agreed with both of those. Um, I went in a different direction, and I don't know if either of these actually work. But we're kind of making interesting movies at the time, so I picked Sidney Lumet. Oh, interesting. And uh, the one was Sam Peckinpah. Oh, now I don't know if these would be. I don't know if these would be blockbusters. You know, like I will say, like uh, Sam Peckinpah's probably going to make like the grittiest version. That's of That's what I mean. Like, yeah, men being men and like yeah. stuff like that. Whereas Cindy Lumet is going to probably have an insightful look at race relations in the seventies. Yeah, maybe within the police force. I, I mean. I don't hate either of those picks. Those all four directors are going to make four very different movies. And you, and you are right, you should say, uh, early 1970s George Lucas would have made a great science fiction movie. Oh, yeah. Just coming up THX and yeah. like American Graffiti. graffiti. Oof. Yeah. This seems like the perfect meld of those two yeah. things. Uh, Willie Freakin hadn't uh, still thought he was the greatest director of all time. And at that point, had some good arguments for it. You know? <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know where we, how, how we go with this one. It's too tough. Well, you know what? I think once we cast Burt Reynolds, I think uh, both my directors are out. <laughs> right. I guess that's true. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's you look at the cast to, now. It's hard to elevate it to high drama at this point. Yeah. Well, you freaking still probably do it with this cast. I guess it depends. Do you want it to be a cop show? Do you want it to lean on the cop or do you want to lean on the science fiction? I think it's the 70s. I think it's got to lean on the cop. Uh, then I got, it's got to be Friedkin. Okay, then. let's do it. All right. Friedkin, you're hired. I like this movie. <laughs> All right. I'm going to run it down one last time mm-hmm. for everyone at home. Here is Almost Human coming out to theaters this summer, 1977, <laughs> starring Burt Reynolds as Detective John Kennix. Grace Jones as the robot Dorian. Ali McGraw as the love interest Detective Valerie Stahl. Charles Grodin as the wisecracking Rudy Lom tech expert. <laughs> Charles Grodin. That's funny. And special guest star Betty Davis as Captain Sandra Maldonado. That's pretty great. Directed by William Friedkin. This is a blockbuster. A no blockbuster. block will be left unbusted for this yeah, movie. That's it. Well, I guess next week we'll do the 60s. Yeah, well, this is, this is the show now, you guys. We're yeah. just recasting Almost Human for all decades. 1920s. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's get into it. Let's let's get this show started. Here's the IMDb summary for episode four, The Bends. When a colleague gets shot in a drug-related situation, John is the only one who believes in the innocence of his old classmate. Rudy sees an opportunity for his 15 minutes of fame when a drug cook is needed for an undercover operation. That was courtesy of Faith Randon. Faith Randon? Yeah. That's a new one. Yeah, it's a totally new one. I think Faith is right. I, That's she pretty did a good much job. It. She did the A plot and the B plot. Yeah. All right. All right, let's get into it. Because it starts off on, if you listen to our bonus episode from, I think, last week. We recorded these very long ago, so I don't remember exactly. But I believe last week's bonus episode is all about the beginning of this episode. Is it? They're at a Japanese restaurant ordering food, and Dorian decides to prank Detective Kennix by ordering a slug, a live slug for him to eat. That's hilarious. I didn't even think of that. I didn't even even think about it. This is the live slug that was referred to in that fan fiction. Oh, weird. He's forced to like... I I thought it was just like a sick, sick perversion sort of... They just, I want to see slugs in your mouth. Blech. Someone invented a whole yeah. cloth in their mind. Yeah. No, it's actually great. Like Dorian's being a bit of a dick to Kenix and like orders in Japanese. So he doesn't know what he's ordering. And the chef comes back and puts his plate down and this like CGI slug is like crawling across. It looks pretty good. Yeah, but they don't even give you the, the, the money shot I wanted. I wanted to see him biting down on it. And, I they, mean, and they conveniently cut away. You don't see it in close up. He does like put it in his mouth and you see it like mm-hmm. flip around in his like lips a bit. Like is it, it was it wasn't bad. It was very funny to watch him eat a slug, especially after reading that story the other week. Yeah, it's it's one of their like um these scenes here that are showing that they're really getting along and in their playfully combative relationship. I'm going to ask a question though, because in this episode in particular, I have a question as to whether they are getting along. Well here's here's what I thought. Doesn't, doesn't Dorian seem like he he's picking at him way more than normal? I think Kenick seems to have like settled into a rhythm with Dorian, but this episode seemed like Dorian was laying into him real hard. There's this slug thing. Later, uh, Kenix will say that uh, if he had to live in a cabin, he'd kill himself. And then Dorian turns to him and says, well, I guess you better buy a cabin then. I think it was supposed to all be played for laughs and that's just how their relationship is but i agree with you it seemed like they hit a beat a few too many times because it did it did start coming off like 
you're actually just a mean friend you know it's like at a certain point you're not just teasing your friend in a jokey way it's like you're just being mean i like to think his like ai algorithm is not quite like it's not it's not adjusted fully right. yet like Dor- Kenny was so mean to him at some point like his algorithm like over adjusted and now right. it hasn't like even though yeah i think it's just probably just not just writing that it hasn't quite landed. It's true. I mean, I'll give you the other one too. Later on in episode two, they're talking about uh, a dead cop who John went to cla- to uh, cop school with? Question mark. Uh, and John's just like, he's the only one in class who's a better shot than me and a faster runner. And then Dorian's like, so there are only two people in your class? Yeah, it was unrelenting. <laughs> he really leaned into him this episode. Anyway, it does seem to be the dynamic they've started like establishing. Uh, but let's get to the crime of the week, I guess. This week, uh, an undercover cop is uh, doing, I guess, trying to do some sort of drug sting. He's brought like a cook to meet this drug dealer named the Bishop. And uh, I guess they're trying to set up a sting inside the operation. But the Bishop's on to them and he kills both this cop and the cook. And uh, we kind of have to solve who killed the cop. I'm going to say, uh, I knew who the bad guy was about five minutes into this episode. <laughs> it was one of those where like, you just saw it coming a million miles away. It's one of those things where when you introduce a new character for no reason and you're like, Who's this new person? It's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about them. They're an important person later. And then it's like, yeah, of course, they're the bad guy. They're the bad guy. Yeah. But in overall, I thought it was a pretty uh, pr- pretty fine episode. Well, the big thing about this drug dealer is more like it's a new drug on the street. I guess it's some sort of new future drug. What, would, what, do you, what did you catch about the drug in the episode? Oh, it's called the Benz. And they what call is the Benz that, short for? Uh, well, the, I, I know, but I don't know what the, I know what the Benz is, the actual right, right. Sy- symptom of coming up from the water too fast. But... The, the the drug was made was it made out of seaweed was that what it was a new algae they had discovered three years ago right uh i believe it's it's referring to benzopropene oh i see okay and it's why it has the benz yes it's interesting because they kind of talk about how it's highly addictive and highly deadly but weirdly for a show about a new drug there's literally no talk about what it does like does it get you high well they do they do show it um later on there's like some like street toughs like kids remember they show having them and there's one kid who gets like high and he just kind of got it all over his face and i was like was he drinking it was that what was happening and they're all and they all have like funny hats and stuff because it's the future and uh and and yeah but they just assume that i don't know the the most we know is it's like glowing green and when you use it like it looks like you have highlighter all over your face. Yeah, that, well, I think I think it's just you get so excited it just splashes all over the splashes place. all over your face. Yeah, yeah it was kind of inter- it's kind of weird because I'm like, oh, it'll introduce like some like it has some weird thing it does to you, but they never kind of get into. It. They're just like, oh, just a real good drug that everybody wants. Well, they already showed what that other drug did. Remember they showed those uh, teenagers. That's true. That, like, the chromes. It, it really mathed things up. There's like math numbers like bouncing all over the place, and these guys' points of view, it was just like everything's just like green slime. <laughs> green slime, yeah. They look like they're from, uh, uh, you can't do that in television. And they just said, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's that's a literally a joke just for uh, Canadians in the 1970s. You love the 1970s. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the case of the week. So Dorian Kang's coming to solve it. They kind of, you know, inspect the body and find that, uh, well, he, after he was murdered, I can't remember, maybe before he was murdered, they kind of jammed this knife into him and pulled out this uh, subdermal wire he was wearing. Mm-hmm. And they're able to like, it's actually a cool shot because they like stab him and pull this really gross thing out of his stomach before they kill this cop. But D- Dorian and Kenix are able to piece together. It's like, oh, he had a wire because obviously they pulled out of him. And they talk to his wife and his wife's like, oh, we used to have this cottage. And they drive up to the cottage. This is where Dorian suggests he kill himself yeah. um, and kind of find a tape he made of what's going on. And essentially they kind of piece together. It's like, oh, he was doing his own undercover sting. He, didn't, he hadn't told anyone because they had told him to like drop the case and he was trying to solve it by himself. 
And basically they decide just to follow through with his plan to like solve the mystery. Like they're like, we need our own cook. We're going to send them undercover. We're going to catch whoever this mysterious the bishop is and and basically solve the crime. That, that seems to be the premise of the episode. Yeah. It's funny, they kind of talk about how the drug is new and like no one's really kind of perfected it yet. So like there's only been a couple deaths on the street. And in the period of time between this cop dying and them like deciding on this plan, an epidemic breaks out. I thought it was weird because the whole purpose of this, the bishop doesn't have a cook to get his 600 liters onto the street, but some of it is leaking onto the street anyway, just highly, I guess maybe just deadly versions of it, but it kind of was counterintuitive. It doesn't matter. Uh, This show can get a little weird that way though. Essentially though, they need a highly skilled chemist to go undercover and uh, there's only one man for the job. Yeah, it's Rudy. And I actually like this because it made me think of if this was tech war, you know, it still would be Jake going undercover, but at least the show has given... This is, you know, a minor character episode is what they've done. They've uh, uh, now they don't entirely give it to him. I, I was kind of hoping it would be just his episode. Um, it's like 75 percent his episode, um, maybe even a little less. But I like that they decided to at least give one of these minor characters a little bit of time so we can learn a little bit more about them. Because so far, the show has just been, you know, the two main main people. Yeah, it was fun to get to know Rudy a little bit. It, I love when they, they go to his lab to tell him they want him to go undercover and he's standing there with a robot's head. And he's just like, you want me to do what? And the robot's like, they said they want you to undercover, you dummy. The robots are Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> it was like this sudden sidekick he has of this sassy robot head who, there wasn't an MX unit. Is this just another robot he's building? I think he's just working on robots all the time. It's just, it's just like his side projects. Is he doing that on the company's dime or what? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Rudy's very excited to go undercover. In fact, he he looks at a reflective surface when they tell him this. He looks at a reflective surface in his lab and his reflection is wearing a tuxedo, like 007. Yeah. And it's kind of a running joke through the whole thing. He just wants to look very uh, uh, suave and debonair sort of the whole time. So he's always trying to wear like fedoras and stuff and everyone keeps telling him not to. I like the idea this character is a bit of a Walter Mitty. Yeah. Like maybe we never know, but he's always having this like rich fantasy life where he's always doing like something exciting. <laughs> I'd watch more of that, I think. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a fun character. There's a whole sequence here where they're like Detective Paul and Detective Stahl kind of have to train him to go undercover and they give him a name. I think his name's Callum Waits and he's a career criminal chemist and he, he wants to be real suave. So he puts on this suit and what becomes a running joke is he wants to augment the suit with a fedora. Yeah. He constantly, he's putting this fedora and everyone's like, take off the fedora. And he's like, oh, he puts it down. And then as soon as anyone looks away, he puts it back on his head. Yeah. And I thought they were going to just play that gag once, but man, that gag runs the whole episode. Yeah. And don't you think uh, that uh, Paul's really mean to him? He smashes his head into a table at one point. I, this is the first time I liked Detective Paul, I think. Yeah. Because Detective Paul, we learned is from Vice and he's definitely really mean to Rudy here, but he's trying to prep him. Like, He's only being mean and aggressive because he's trying to like Protect get him. him rattled and get him protected. And I actually felt like I'm like, oh, this is the first time Detective Paul seemed like a likable character, even though he's being gruff and kind of rude. You know, he's doing it for the right reasons for a change. Right. Um, so it didn't bother me as much. Uh, they have Rudy try to like cook up some of this, uh, the Ben, so they can like test how he can put it together. And uh, unfortunately, he forgets to put some iodine in and uh, what happens. It all, it's the, your, your classic thing we've seen a few times. Something explodes, bounces around, and goes and shoots right through a robot's head. Got to kill an MX unit every single yeah. episode. Yeah. I actually was trying to think back, and I think there's maybe one or two episodes where they didn't, but otherwise it's been pretty pretty consistent. Pretty consistent. You, you're always going to have one of these uh, Rube Goldberg sort of uh, scenarios that bounce around and then smash a 
a smash robot and there's going to be a like a a raid with all the cops that's true that is always going to happen i what i did like though this time is that like the little valve that busted off smashes through the robot's eye and the robot doesn't die this time he just kind of gives rudy a dirty look he's just like come on he's like yeah together i could have used that eyeball (laughs) um and one little last thing on rudy here is because this is a little plot important he also uh, has an experimental new fluid he's going to use on this case. As it's, he takes this little drink of this mm-hmm. experimental fluid that I guess covers the inside of his body with GPS signal. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll allow it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. Fine. It's fine. You know what? I'm all for this sort of like idea of like super nanotechnology that the show kind of leans into. And it's like, sure, why not? A liquid technology that they can track somehow. Sure. I mean, I think Mackenzie Crook sort of sells it because he's like it's experimental we've only had it for like two weeks and when he drinks it like he, he spent a good 30 seconds of watching him almost vomit he like yeah. he's constantly like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was I, I thought it was good yeah it was cute it, and it looked like he was drinking like uh like matcha concentrate <laughs> that's what i thought interesting interesting reference mm-hmm. all right we'll get back to what canix and dorian they're doing in the meantime is they need to get Rudy into a position where he's going to meet the bishop and try to like sell himself as a cook. So to do that, they're going to need someone on the inside to like set up a meeting. So they head down to old, uh, I called it little Blade Runner town. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really did feel like that part of the town again. Huh? So they go to the place and you know, real quick, Dorian's like, I got to go in by myself. They don't like Android to this place. Kenick's, this is, oh, sorry. Kenick says that. Um, this is the first time I can think of where we've, we've heard anything in this world where there's um, any sort of bad uh, feelings or ill will toward oh, right, androids. Like anti-robot sentiment. Yeah. It's true. It think? hasn't come up that much. Um, it would make sense. May- I mean, maybe there's more to get into on that. I mean, it's like the wall we heard about in the first episode and I've never heard it from again. Right. seems like there's more to this world that they're just not. Because so far up to this point, everyone seems very pro-technology, very pro-androids. There hasn't been any sort of negative thing. This is the first thing we've seen. And obviously, the only reason it seems to be used in this is it's kind of set up for a laugh, but uh, set up for a joke. But uh, but I, I thought that was interesting that there maybe there's hinting at something something more. You bring it up now, and I wonder if maybe that is the case. Is I think what we've seen so far, like the crimes have mostly affected upper and middle class kind of people, and we spend very little time in any sort. Of, like we go to this like little Blade Runner town, which seems a little divier occasionally, but we rarely get to spend much time there. And they've hinted there's something on the other side of this wall. I'm guessing some sort of like ultra poverty or something. Hmm. I'm wondering if maybe if the show keeps going or maybe not this season, if it had, there there might be some hidden like class warfare happening or something where right. robots maybe aren't not light because they protect the rich or something. And I might be over to leaning into this as well. It's hard to say. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. You're right. They never bring this up before, but it definitely is just like you can't come in. It's a robot, non-robot bar. Yeah. But but what is kind of the point of the, the it's, scene? It's a cute it's a cute cowboy kind of scene is Kenick says, Dorian, you have to wait outside. The camera just stays on Dorian and Kenix walks into the building. So we're still in the exterior sitting on Dorian and Kenix is in there for less than five seconds and he's thrown through a window. Right. And then if it's just like, Dorian, you better come in with me. Yeah. Then they go in and they throw the guy through. Although the thing I thought was, is this just a scene written so they don't have to uh, build another set? They'll just, they'll just be outside. They don't have to build a bar set. It was interesting. It did. It was, it was like you expected to go in. Yeah. I, I think it was being played for like an old Westie kind of right. gag. But you're right. I kept expecting like, well, we're, we're going to the bar now. I'm like, oh, no. No, nope, never. Stay just go stay in that corner. Uh, but yeah, they basically get this low level drug dealer who works for the bishop and they basically offer him a deal. Uh, they find he's got some bends on him and uh, they say this bends. Uh, if we turn you in for this, it's like 
18 to 24 years in the cube. <laughs> Is that what they said? The cube? Yeah, the cube. I wish I wanted to know a lot more about the cube. Mm. But essentially the guy's like, all right, fine. You get my girlfriend out of jail and don't turn me in for this. And I'll introduce your cook to the bishop, I guess. Yeah. Sort of who's, s- who's the big bad guy this episode? Yeah. The, the big drug dealer who killed this other guy and they, they need they need to get him, get this cop killer off the streets. Um, <laughs> big, big important stuff, Jordan. Mm-hmm. But this basically brings us to Rudy's big meeting with him that Rudy kind of walks through a dark alley to this warehouse meeting. And there's one cute little text scene where uh, Detective Paul is like playing a homeless man. And he like opens up a jar and these like electronic uh, robotic cockroaches climb out. Yeah. And they're like, I guess little surveillance cameras. Well, that's it's it's viewers way to see the scene and also the way for the cops back at the precinct to be able to watch it is that they have not only do they have rudy with this who's drank this liquid so they can track where he is they also have these little cockroaches that are going around this seemingly very seedy sort of area that no one will notice so that they can actually watch as well and it's like yeah all right sure sure i mean i will say a bit of a plot hole for this particular episode in that uh, the bishop will make rudy drink a concoction that will remove his gps because the GPS is only two weeks old, so someone only someone inside the police force could know about it. Mm-hmm. So if they knew about the GPS fluid as a potential thing... I know, why didn't they know about the cockroaches? Why didn't they know about the cockroaches? But I know. It's fine. Bit of a plot hole for a poor almost human, but it's kind of its smell you. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 it is funny. They, they do spend a lot of time on stuff and then they seem to be like, there's like a glaring hole in one side. They're like, I hey, don't worry about that over there. Yeah. Anyway, Rudy kind of meets these, the, the henchmen of this drug dealer and they're, they're asking him some questions. And literally the first thing out of Rudy's mouth is he gives his own name and like already like almost destroys his cover. Like it's the first thing he does. Yeah. So it's in, so they, they feel like Dorian feels like he has to go and say the day. I think it was a little bit, I was just like, just give him a minute. Like it was like, he's like, oh, it's Rudy. They're like, we got to get in Dorian. Well, it's funny because Dorian basically like turns off all his functions and goes in and just he's like, I'm his robot that he owns also because you have a robot too. And it's perfectly normal for us all to just have robots here. And everyone was like, and the, and the, the, uh, the gangster's like, we'll allow it. Yeah, they're like, checks out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, they re- like sending him in didn't really diffuse the situation in any naturalistic way. And also it was unnecessary. Like he, it seemed like Rudy could have talked way out of that. The reason they seem to have him made this mistake is to play this weirdest 30 second gag the show has done perhaps yet is it it's the farting yeah they pull guns on him when he says the wrong name and he kind of makes an excuse he's like oh people just call me rudy but that's not my name's really this and there's this moment where they all stand there in silence with guns drawn on him and then there's just like a fart sound and i'm like oh well maybe they'll just breeze past it but they cut back to all the cops like in the thing and they're all like pulling faces like oh gross i know and i'm like it's this thing i we've we've kind of talked about it before in the show and it's being done in slightly different ways, but the show has a desperation to to always keep things funny, right? And and which is fine. Like you don't want it's, this is not um, space above and beyond, which for all intents and purposes was a pretty dour show, a pretty humorless show, um, for good and bad. And this show really wants to always have you know a scene where the characters make fun of each other or there's a humorous situation, but they seem to. It's mean spirited. Yeah, it's it's in, in juvenile in a, in a weird way. Like like it's like someone has to make like a rape joke or someone has to make like a fart joke or when, and you're just like guys like how old are you twelve years old like and it's this weird thing where I'm fine with the jokes but they they always just land in a weird clumsy way and it's just like this is kind of gross. Is that joke lingered there for a second? Much like the fart. <laughs> that's funnier. That's funnier um, than the joke was. That's uh, a bad joke. But when it when the scene lingered for a second, I actually thought. Rudy was going to say something about having an upset stomach or one of the go- one of these 
like gunman was going to be like say something like oh i get an upset stomach too like i thought one of the someone was going to say something kind of like reassuring i thought that's how they were going to diffuse the scene right which would have actually made it work for me it would have been funnier and a little more like felt all a little more human almost human if you will like to have someone like have some well, gas well, and then be, people be a, a reason for it. something in the story as yeah. opposed to Literally just a character fart. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Everyone just makes gross dead faces like, oh, aren't you gross? Like it just, it was mean spirited, which is kind of why it doesn't work. Like this is the worst part of the show is it sometimes falls into a very mean spirit and I don't like that. Yeah, I agree with you. Anyway, we've really lingered on this joke too long. Yeah. Do you know why though? It's because we're now, how many episodes have we seen? Seven episodes? And almost every episode there's been one of these jokes where you're just like okay guys it's like and then it's just sort of relentless every episode there's one little like kind of gross joke and you're just like at this point after seven episodes you're just like want to wave it away and be like enough okay we get it yeah not what you're strong at yeah not what you guys are doing well anyway let's move past that and uh let's keep going so basically rudy's here he's got to do his big test where he's got to show he can make drugs yeah, he, he uses their machine their their chemistry set he he does it at 95 pure so they're they're very excited about it and they're like all right we're gonna take you to where the real bishop is and uh, where you got to go through the secret tunnel. And they go through, because he's drinking this liquid, the cops have lost track of him. And essentially, whatever plan they had is now a foul because they don't know what happened to Rudy. They've lost Rudy. Which, Dorian was in the room. There was no reason for him to come into the room. He comes in the room, you're like, all right, well, he's here now. And then he just stays there. Yeah. So it's like, uh-oh, so he did, he did nothing. Yeah. Big reveal now, this captain of the narcotics division we briefly met at the start of the episode who showed up to give a bunch of lines oh guess what he's the bishop yeah of course he is <laughs> because they have someone on the inside it's the guy who runs the narcotics so yeah. he killed his own officer etc 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 it's you know it's not much of a turn but it's it's something i guess yeah it doesn't and it doesn't really make that much sense but just go with it it doesn't it's really fine. matter they they're trying to find out how to find rudy and they're torturing one of the because the cops raid the place and grab one of the henchmen and they managed and they start torturing him which i thought was an odd choice but like there's a weird torture scene where they managed to get enough information out of here where they kind of were like oh if they got rid of the gps he must be in the police department oh he's probably the captain of narcotics how can we find him and captain maldonado like places a personal call to him to just kind of like fill him in on their investigation you know as professional courtesy and they use that as a chance to track his cell phone it was weird though that both kennex and dorian were kind of torturing the guy right because we saw in the very beginning of the show that there was a, a kind of a scene where uh you were seeing how kind of uh kennex is a badass and he was he was kind of beating on a person and then dorian was like there's another way around it you know do a little detective work but this scene they're both just kind of like torturing the guy yeah it just felt like pure plot expediency right and kind of weird too because even the torturing doesn't exactly give them the information they need they kind of still have to piece it together like it wasn't even it felt like if you were going to just do that at least be like he's the captain of the cars but he like told them something and they pieced that together something Mm -hmm. like it was weird like a lot of wheels spinning around this like i mean we're blowing through this episode there's like so much wheel spinning actually yeah um anyway they pinpoint the location of him via this phone call that Maldonado makes and essentially we just roll into our third act uh action raid scene where Dorian Kennings go in guns blazing uh poor poor Rudy takes a takes a bullet to the shoulder a little graze mm-hmm. to his shoulder yeah uh Kennings chases down this captain narcotics and uh, this was weird right he chases down the captain narcotics division who's the bishop and when he catches him he executes him? Yes, he he just catches him and he sort of like shoots him and the guy's like, you know, yeah, you know, why would you have done this? And the guy gives his whole like, you'll never catch me, you know, like the usual film. Yeah, and yeah. then and then John's like, uh-huh, and then just like shoots him in the head. And I was like, oh, oh, that 
that was that. I think they were trying to lean into the fact that this dead cop, I guess, was a classmate of his. But it's just like the partner thing. Like, we have no emotional connection to him. Yeah. So it just makes him, like, it's just like, Oh, no, Luke. Uh, clearly, earlier in the show, they showed a picture of the two of them together. So you know that they... We, we want them to kill the other guy. Yeah. But let's get back to the robot fight. Because that is really the most exciting part of this episode is there's a robot on the bad guy side. He's like a big, like, giant, towering man of a robot. And Dorian has to, like, hand-to-hand fight him. Yeah, and there's a lot of like you're you're what you'd expect a uh, real quick robot punching just stomachs and throwing each other th- around and it was a pretty good little fight. Yeah, a little clanking, clinking, and clanking. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of clinking and clanking. Uh, and it kind of finishes up like the the bad robots pick Dorian up by the throat and he's kind of choking him out. Maybe I don't know. Hard to say with robots. Uh, it's kind of fun where he's grabbing his skin. It kind of looks like one of those. Uh, those balls you touch with the electricity inside and they're like yeah. the the lightning shoots out. That's what Dorian's face looks like when a robot's holding his face. But Dorian manages to hook like a hook with a chain on it into the back of the base of the skull of this robot. Mm-hmm. He gets him in the exact spot apparently that you need to uh, when so he, he hooks the guy in the back of the neck. The guy's like, oh, I've been hooked. And then his body just falls off his neck. Yeah, he, they raise the hook up in the air and uh, yeah. It's great. His head tears clean off and there's just robot spine hanging from the stump yeah. of his it, neck. It looks great. It like, was amazing. Yeah, the effect was really good. And it was and it was startling because I didn't see that coming. Oh, well, that's the best. I mean, I've kind of got used to MXs dying because mm-hmm. we see it all the time. They kind of always have their heads explode. I was not expecting someone's head to be ripped clean off. Oh, and let me just one really quick thing. When John shoots the other, the corrupt cop, it, it seemed like he shot him right in the dick at the beginning, did he? I, I think he might have shot him in the leg. But oh, in the leg. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't put it past this show though, for that yeah. to be the intention. Well, that's, that's what I kind of thought. It was. I thought they were going to have like a line where he was going to, you know, you know, I didn't know I was a moil or it was going to be some stupid. I, like, I thought it was going to be a line like that, but they didn't have it. You should write for this show. I could. I, that's, that's as good as a line as they would have. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that wraps up the case. They basically avenge this cop, ended the bishop's drug reign. Yeah. And we kind of get like a little, a little capper at the end where, uh, Dorian gets in the car at the end of the day with uh, Kenix and he's just like, we're going to go to your favorite bar and we're bringing Rudy because now that he's been injured, he's like a cool cop guy now. And Kenix's like, oh, I don't want you guys coming to my cool bar. And there's just like this weird back and forth where they finally agree to take Rudy with him. And so this is a real like minor episode, a real lightweight episode. However, it's an episode where I felt like this show knows what it is at this point. It's like, this is what the show is. And we're not wasting a lot of time on stuff other than what the little story we're telling. And that, and that's what the show does well. And this is an example of it. It's not a great example of, they're not doing anything terribly interesting here or anything original, but you're like, oh, it's an almost, almost human episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Real quick before we move on. Uh, my favorite part of the end was uh, when uh, Rudy's like, if we go to this bar, can I pick up some badge rabbits? Oh yeah. It was really weird. But I'm like, what? The way uh, Mackenzie Cook delivers it at least sounds endearing. And what was what was the actual expression? A badge bunnies. Badge bunny. Yeah. Like he wants to go to this cop bar and right. try to pick up some ladies who are into cops, but he doesn't know the name because he's he's just a tech guy. Yeah, he's adorable, and he can't wait to be back on the job. He's yeah. like, I'll be better soon and be back on undercover. And, and they're all like, You're never going to undercover again. Just wants to be one of the guys. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was an all right episode. Fair enough. You know. We'll, we'll say I like it. Rudy. Well, I like Rudy. I thought he's a good character, and I like I like these more of sort of a bottle episode of just Rudy and sort of like his day to day story. And I think it would have made even a stronger episode. They just couldn't 
quite commit to doing that so it ends up being a little bit eh but uh but i I think he's a good enough character and a good actor that it works enough i would agree i think if focusing on him would have helped it it just felt like the rest of the scenes were the contractual obligations for kennix and dorian to be in the scenes that's that's a good way of saying it yeah Yeah. all right let's move on to the next episode here is episode five the imd summary for episode five blood brothers you said you ran away after the shots were fired so when did she tell you about 10 minutes ago um Sorry, I'm not quite following you. I'm a medium psychic, but on good days, I'm a petite psychic. I can communicate with her spirit. Miss Vaughn, we don't usually get our leads from spirits. We like to deal in facts. Well, this is legit. I had the Cerebellix procedure. It worked on me. Cerebellix procedure? It's relatively new and unproven. It's meant to increase percentage of brain usage in human beings. Enhancements have been known to add sensory abilities or a notable increase in intelligence. Maybe you should try it, John. Detective Kennix and Dorian are tasked with protecting the only remaining witness in a major murder trial, while Captain Maldonado faces off with the defendant. That one was courtesy of Anonymous, unfortunately. Mm. No cool names in this time. Who was the, who was the first one? Sheena Easton? Who was it that Let me go her? back through my notes. Faith Randon. Faith Randon. Well, I hope, I hope Faith's back. Faith's a female name, correct? Yeah. There's no man named Faith. I mean, it's 2019. Maybe. Yeah, it's true. What am I saying? This is not 1970. This is not... This is not 2014. Uh, you, 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 you know, you can't have a Robert Shaw playing Faith in the, <laughs> the 1970s version. Unacceptable. Yeah. So what happens? This is Blood Brothers. So the, uh, Oh, oh is this, can I start with this? This is something that you had mentioned a few episodes ago, which is we had talked about... Uh, an episode started where Dorian was getting picked up by John yeah. uh, as they went to work. And we had talked about very briefly about, does I, he have a home and all this sort of stuff? But this answers the question. No, he does not. He lives in a series of pods. I mean, I'd say he has a home. Okay. Well, he lives in a series of pods with a bun- bunch of the other uh, I, robot units all lined up like they're vending machines. This, a- and that's, what, that's where they live. This was... The answer to my question of what do these other characters do in the morning? This was this is where he lives. Is he lives? I mean, I think it looked exactly like some sort of Borg recharging stations all lined up together. Like that's yeah. exactly what it looked like. But it's in an it's like in an apartment building. There's a lobby with an elevator that goes up. I think it's the police. I think it's just the police department. Mm-hmm. It is not because he's waiting outside for him in the lobby holding a coffee and he takes an elevator up. It is it is actually... No, you're right. It is. I think it is actually a department block for robots. What do you think the rent is? Oh, it's got to be expensive. Hmm. It's 2048? 2048, yeah. Oof. I mean, with the salary they pay Dorian. That's true. Which is, I assume, nothing. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. A yeah, lot but, of questions. Yeah, there is a lot of questions. I, I really like that because... Canix gets bored waiting. He takes the elevator up to the to the pods. Dorian's not in his pod, so he wanders into the change room shower area of the apartment. Yeah, they still they still need to apparently uh, bathe their fake skin. Yeah, like there's showers and there are lockers and they're all all the MX units are getting dressed. But there's the the real only reason is because you're like, why would they shower? There's no reason. But the only reason they're doing that is why, Luke. At some point, Canix turns around and one of the MX units, units is like. Detective Kennex, what are you doing here? And when he turns around, the MX unit is completely nude and it has no genitals. It looks like a Ken doll. It looks good. Oh, it's photorealistic. Yeah, the effect they've done looks really good. Now, also kind of makes sense for the show because obviously this is a working robot 
it wouldn't need genitals. Actually, to the point where it shouldn't even really have any detail below the neck. Well, that's what's kind of amazing is the men playing these MXs are chiseled. This man has like an eight pack. He looks great. But as soon as it gets past the bottom of his eight pack, mm-hmm. it's just smooth, clean plastic all yeah. the way down. Yeah. It's like it's like they just got tired halfway through and like, and, and you get the rest. But anyways, <laughs> the whole it's just a gag so that again, because this show just can't. It's it's a setup. So John's like, oh, I can't believe he doesn't have a penis so that later in their car so he can ask Dorian if he has a penis. And then Dorian, which I thought was weird, just pulls his penis out of the car. Yeah, that that's what this whole all this whole thing is a long penis joke setup that takes a lot of time and is not very funny. I mean, it's not the best, but I, I loved seeing that Kendall MX. Oh, no, it's, it looks great. And it's going on Instagram. So I'll forgive the rest of it. But it, yeah, it was a setup. It's like, it's like, do you have genitals there, Dorian? It's like, why I do? And he whips it out in the car. And he's, look how big your genitals are. Like, it's just, like, the show can't help itself. Yeah. And then John says, what do you do with that? And Dorian says, same as you, John. Nothing. Yeah, he, tur- he turns it into a real jab. It was a good jab. That one actually worked. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that's what this show is. So, you know, it's almost like there's no point in complaining about it at this point. It's not going away. I mean, yeah. This, I didn't find this one to be as mean-spirited as some of the other ones, but... It just is such a long way to go. Listen, I would have gone all that way just to see that Ken Doll Max. I, yeah. I, that made my day. No joke, that made my day. I think I was texting you photos of it all day. <laughs> you were. I like, though, that they had to, like, reassure everyone that, like, don't worry, everyone, Dor- Dorian does have genitals. Oh, we couldn't root for a character without them. Yeah. It's impossible. Like, okay, great. I hadn't thought about it. I, a lot of this actually is a setup, though, because this leads into talk about Detective Stahl and how John John is in love with Detective Stahl and how Dorian thinks they should get together. Because they've had a lot of scenes where they've looked at each yeah. other for an extended amount of time. And the B-plot of this episode is going to be, oh, look at them. They're clearly in love. Mm-hmm. Um, a weird way to set that B-plot, actually, the more I think about it. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Anyway, uh, we kind of get into, it's a little less of a crime of the week, maybe more of a law and order this episode, but still like the the standalone portion of it is Cap Maldonado's at a trial for this, um, I guess, rich genius. He's like 180 IQ. This guy named Ethan Avery. He uh, he gunned down this some fertility doctor in a, in a parkade, but she's testifying kind of against him. But as it comes becomes clear in this trial, like there's no evidence. There's no motive for what him doing. I it. know it's funny because later on, you know, we'll get we'll get through all the little plot points as we go. But later on, you know, they're going through the case after the fact, and they're like, "Oh, now we finally have something on him." And I was like, "Whoa, you guys already went to court! Like, you went to court with the guy, and they like, and literally at one point, she's like, motive is the one thing we never had.'" I was like, "You went to court. You had no evidence. You had no you, motive. I know it's because they just wanted a court scene where Maldonado's uh, in the well, box." Well, and I'll ask a question with that. Why would the captain of the police department be testified? Like she wouldn't have done the police work. <laughs> yeah, she's like a character witness. I know it doesn't make any sense. There's there's so many things that are like. So all you really do need to know is he's on trial for murder. They really don't have any evidence, and the, and, and there's there's two people that apparently have seen him. Yeah, they have two witnesses from the, of the crime. So, but it's the future. So these two witnesses don't need to actually go into court because their uh their lives are in danger. So they like digitally project them in from their safe their, their safe house yeah. which is actually a pretty cool idea it's a cool little effect basically there's a camera that watches them you know gives a 3d projection into the actual um witness stand yeah um which which was all great 
But then again, it's like, why did anyone go to court? Why did why did the, why is the guy there? Why is like the basic point of this episode is uh, right as they start court, some gun guys guys with guns break into the safe house, kill one of the witnesses, and they think that the person says it was the guy who's in in court who did it. Like, how could he be in two places at once? That's basically the premise, right? Yeah, I mean, basically. Um... I know I'm skipping over a lot, but you're you're really motoring through. But yeah, that I guess that is the kickoff is one of the witnesses gets killed, one of them escapes, they're gonna have to protect her to keep her alive, and uh, they test the voice prints from the crime because they pick up like an MX unit's like voice and the guy says something, they're like, In the future you can fake your face and you can fake everything, but you can't fake vocal cords. Yeah. So we can tell if it's a recording or not. And they're like, It was definitely a recording of the guy who's in the court, so how could he be in two places at once? Which this is a tech war episode. Yeah. This it is. is the episode of Alter Ego. I know, it is. Um, what's kind of fun, though, and I, I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but the witness who survives is this uh, woman. She's like a flapper. Who, who's a little bit like a flapper, but she's had this procedure done to her, the Cerebrix procedure. But essentially, mm-hmm. this thing has expanded her brain and it's turned her into a psychic and a medium, or as she likes to call herself, a medium psychic. Or on a good day, a petite psychic. Yeah, they do that joke like three times. I really like that joke. Yeah, it was okay. It was cute the first time. She delivered it very well. I was on board with this whole thing the whole time. But she's kind of this like, uh, you know, a bit of a manic pixie dream girl who's a psychic and they're going to have to protect her. And she's going to be a little ditzy and she's always going to be talking to dead people because if she touches a dead person's things, she'll tell you. In fact, she touches the dead witness's things and the dead witness tells them. And she's like, Avery... Last name I forgot. Ethan Avery killed me. So they're like, well, that's impossible until they get the voice print. And they're like, oh, how could he do it if he's in the police station? We have to solve this mystery. In this court, so Ethan's uh, on trial for murder. And during the court proceedings, one of the witnesses is killed. I don't know what happens in court in today's society, but what happens just in general, even in 2048, if you're in court and a witness gets killed, they they sort of treat it like court just keeps going. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I assume things are going to stop for a little while. I think they took a break. They took a little break? I think they took a, okay. took a recess. Right, right. Five minutes. Well, that's five minutes, everyone. I mean, they got to go find the other witness and save her. And then uh, Kenix has to go uh, flirt with Stahl at the crime scene. It's uh, They have a little flirt sequence when she's looking over the dead MX unit. Uh, and uh, the live MX unit is telling her the scores to a sports game. Like, yeah, that, and, and so Because and, they have so much in common. Yeah, so it's, it's you know that she's not just pretty. She also likes sports. Can just you believe like it? Just like John. Just like John Kennix. Yeah, he likes sports. It's a girl, It's an attractive woman who likes sports. I will say, though, I was blown away by this prediction by Almost Human. The MX unit is telling the sports car, and he's just like, the Knights just scored. Almost Human predicted the Las Vegas Knights were going to be a new franchise in the NHL. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they're, they're watching uh, soccer, though, I think, aren't they? At the end, they're watching soccer. Oh, right? that's true. I don't know. They're not talking about hockey. Yeah, all right. Let's give that to them. I'm going to give them the prediction that the NHL would expand to Las Vegas. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is basically set up. I, I'm going to do one little thing here because Captain Maldonado's story is very minor. Like the purpose of Captain Maldonado in this is she's supposed to have some sort of like Hannibal Lecter relationship with this uh, yeah, they, Avery character. They really lean into it and they even do. And th- look, this is not the only show or movie that's ever really done this. And everything post Silence Lambs is hindered because it was done so well with those two actors and that script and that movie that everything else sort of pales in comparison. And you always go, you're like, oh, they're doing a Hannibal Lecter scene. Um, but they they really do kind of lean into it, like sort of like he's an evil supervillain. Yeah, he's definitely supervillain. Yeah, it's like, it's like, but 
we don't know anything about him. We just met him. So it's like, well, this thing, he profiles her and it's supposed to be this big reveal of her, but like the profile is so dumb. He's basically just like, you're a woman of a certain age and you don't have a man. I know. And, and it's it, like, S- what? And by, the, and by the way, we'll, we'll just say now, that's going to be like a payoff for later on in the we'll, episode. We'll spoil it now. It's like at the end when it kind of all wraps up and she's walking out of the courtroom successful, the prosecutor turns to her and is like, good job. And she's just like, yes, I finally got a man's attention. No, he, no he's, he's, he goes, good job. She goes, thanks. He goes, oh, also, you're looking really good today. And then she's like, oh, and so it's like, oh, she now has validation from man. So it's everything was worth it. I was like, oh, this is so gross. It's insane to give an actress like Liv Taylor that scene. Like, it's insane to give everyone that scene. But like, she doesn't like, if you, uh, the last thing I would think of Liv Taylor, like she is too strong an actress. Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor. Sorry. Yeah. Lily Taylor. Like, I, it was insane. Like, it's an insane piece uh, of writing. Yeah. It's it's just so, it's like he got in her head, but they just went in the clumsiest way they could they could think well of. And this is supposed to be her rudy episode what all we learned about her is like she's a career police officer who wishes she was married i know uh, uh, you guys no wonder you're canceled <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, anyway let's uh let's let's move on with this um they're a bit curious about how he could be in two places at once and uh, they pretty quickly jumped to the idea that maybe cloning is involved also, do, do you think it was crazy? Not not once they just go like morph masks or whatever they call them in this show. Well, it's like, like you guys have shown like a tons of different technology of ways to being in more in one place at once. It's they they go through that, but do they, they say it's yeah they say you can do. Rudy comes in like you can wear a morph mask, you can like do all kinds of things, but you can't fake real vocal cords. Right, right. So they know someone with his vocal cords was there, and so they jumped to cloning because that makes most sense. Cloning is legal in the future. In fact, there's a whole police department called our unit called the anti-replication unit who looks into it. So they kind of have an idea that there was something going on and um, they look into the fertility doctor because they, because as we said earlier, there's no motive and they're like, I wonder if it has something to do with this fertility doctor who, whose early research was in stem cell cloning before they made it illegal. It's like, you guys did no detective work on this case. Well, it's, it's all the detective work that they could have done before they went to before trial. the trial, yeah, man, the prosecutor must be like, "You guys, this is there's this is a nothing case. I have nothing here. Why are you bringing this to me?" Yeah, he's just doing a lot of a uh, a lot of tap dancing there around the jury. That's a good Law and Order episode where like the cops just show up and it's like, "Here you go." It's like there's nothing here. It's just like, "Yeah, yeah, convict him." <laughs> he's like, "Oh God, order," you know, because yeah, his name's Law. law. Yeah. yeah, you get it right. <laughs> um, anyway. Jumping back to this witness, the, the, the wacky witness Kenix and Dorian have to like take care of. She's been in the police department kind of entertaining the staff. Like we cut back to the police department and everyone's cheering for her because she's like talking to dead people and predicting yeah. things for them. And even Detective Paul gets in and he like gives him an object from his ex-wife and she's like, I'm not getting anything from him. He's like, oh, I guess that means my ex-wife's not dead yet. But Yeah. But yeah, she's a bit... She's she's a bit wacky. I think I've never heard this as a way to describe a character like this, but I think at one point Kenix calls her a she belongs in a puzzle factory. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but uh, I liked it. it. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound flattering. Yeah. She kind of wanders out of the police station. They lose track of her. So they 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 run her down on the street. They run her down. <laughs> they track her down on the street. And she's just like, oh, I had to go talk to the dead witnesses, mom and dad. She wanted me to tell them she's okay. And as they pick her up in the car sort of two vans pull up out of nowhere and a bunch of guys in masks jump out and just start blowing away the car. And, and do you notice that like the cop car doesn't seem to have too much defense? Like the bullets are just going through right through the car, but then they start shooting back at the van. And I'm like, the van seemed fine. I'm like, that van has way better protection than that cop car. I mean, the, the cop car was hit by a lot of bullets. I, I chose to 
believe that it was just took a lot of damage. Right. But the witness gets shot, but she does she's not dead, she's just injured. And uh they manage to kill one of the assailants, and as they rip off the mask, it's it's this Avery guy from the courtroom, only ten years younger. They have to tell you it's ten years younger because he doesn't really look ten years younger. He just has a little bit less makeup on than he had previously. It's true. I if they hadn't said it, I wouldn't have known the difference. No. But basically, this confirms like, okay, this guy 100% has clones. Although I, I really love after they kill his clone and they like report back to the offices, Maldonado's like, just like, we gotta, we gotta get some evidence to get this favorite guy. We need evidence. And Melanie was watching and she's like, you have his dead clone. How much more evidence I know, do you I, need? I, that's what I just wrote. They just like, I said, they, they're acting like they need more information, but they literally have the clone. <laughs> no, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's it's just a little bit of spinning wheels it's like it's like oh because we're only at 32 minutes and we have a uh, 10 more minutes we need of this episode yeah uh detective Stahl goes to check out this doc's house well it's not his house they find out the doc used to work out of his mom's house where when he's doing the stem cell research it's just like so many connections for yeah. some reason she goes there she discovers that basically yes before it was illegal avery and this doctor did stone stem cell cloning basically cloned a bunch of avery's um, and then they kind of put it under wraps after cloning got it was illegal. But now that's kind of the, I guess the experience of success, the doctor apparently came back to Avery and was like, I want to publish my results. And Avery's like, well, I'm going to kill you, I guess. But I mean, it's all weird. It's just like, but also they have to like say how he's also like a real established, uh, a figure in this, in, in the society. Cause he's been donating all this money and stuff. And I was like, what, why is this guy? They took such a, such a long way to get to everything and made it more complicated than it needed to be. And it felt like just to fill time. I mean, definitely. And sometimes I don't know if it filled time. It was just like extra information as if that would flesh out the character. Like they kept saying, Avery's a real philanthropist. I'm like, so he's, Mostly portrayed as a psychopath. I don't yeah. care if he's a. I'm more interested. Um, do these guys all go to dinner together? Yeah, all his clones. It's real like multiplicity. What's going on with them? What's happening? Uh, well, well, Detective Stahl's like discovering all this information in this house. The clones show up. They kidnap her, and now they've got a hostage, basically. And I, I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but I mean, I guess this is probably a. a smoother way of doing this but essentially they they call in to the police department or more accurately they call kennix because they asked detective Stahl to call the person who's most important to her that's what they is, say is, on is the that phone. what they did yeah and it was like it's weird and so they call kennix and they're like you're real lucky she says she really likes you yeah and then and then and then they're like and we can tell that he really likes you by the way he sounds on the, on the thing i'm like oh the writers they're really trying to sell this idea that these two to be together because there's been no actual visual information of this other than people just saying you two look like you belong together. Hey, have you two ever thought to be together? You look like you like each other. Look at the way you're looking at each other. It's just like people keep having to tell you. Yeah. Well, and the clones are only calling because they're essentially like, we'll give you back Detective Stahl if you give us Avery, basically. You want to get our family back together. And it's just like, if that's what you wanted, you wouldn't take your house and say, hey, call who's most important to you and tell them we want Dr. Avery back. You'd be like, call the police you work for and tell them you'll trade you. I have a more important question. So is this supposed to be Avery's plan from the beginning? I, I don't know. I don't know what his plan is because it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. I don't think he has a plan. I think the clones are just doing this on their own. Oh, okay. Because I don't think he has any real control. Because I tried them. to figure out, I was like, so he killed the guy knowing he was going to go to court, but then he knew that the witness was going to get assassinated by one of his people and that they would find one of them that would take him to the doctor's house, but then he was going to kidnap that person in a, as a way so that 
he could bargain his way out of out of jail. I was like, is that his plan? I don't think he has a plan. I feel like the clones are, are really winging it. They're improv the whole time. Right. Because, yeah, it's a, not a smooth plan. So Captain Maldonado kind of comes up with a plan with what to do. They, they agree to meet them in a certain place. Uh, Kenix and Dorian drive out and Rudy's in the back of this van. And Captain Maldonado goes to get Avery at the at the jail cell. And she's just like, well, you're getting out. We're releasing you. And he's like, ah, I knew you would eventually come around to it. But the whole thing is she's going to walk him down this corridor of this jail cell and they're going to use their scanning hollow projecting technology. And as they walk through the police, like or the jail hallway, Rudy's going to project them as holograms walking toward the clones for this hostage trade off. But here's the thing about the technology. What we saw earlier, so they use this is the same technology they used at the beginning of the episode where the uh the woman was going to testify. But what you had was there's like a like a ball thing that films her from above and then she sees a screen as to what she's looking at out there. They don't have the screen though. My point being the whole thing is to make it look like they're doing a, a a swap when she's not actually even in the room. But she wouldn't be able to see or interact with anyone in front of them. So it like you you would just look like you're a blind person walking around. Does that make sense? I mean, I thought it worked okay because she was always looking forward as if she knew someone would be ahead of like it felt like she was playing to the crowd. Right. Well, he didn't know it was happening. Right. Um, I I did not it did not work for me. I don't know. I see what you're saying though. It it. There was very high probability that this was going to go badly. Right. And in fact, as they're doing the exchange and they're like walking toward each other in the field, I didn't fully understand this, but like they're like, got to keep the integrity up. And then one of the clones like steps on a stick and it breaks. And then when they look up, the whole like hologram breaks up. I don't know why the hologram did, but it just because they kept saying like, you basically only have a certain amount of distance you can walk. And she was running out of the distance, but that's not what happened. Someone stepped on a branch. Yeah. And I actually thought when he stepped on the branch, I'm like, oh, the clone's going to look down and realize they're not stepping on branches too. But that's not what happened. Like, he stepped on the branch and then the hologram holog- fritzed out yeah. for some reason. I'm like, all right, well, yeah. good enough, I guess. Which, which then means, oh, shootout time, Detective Stahl kind of fights her way out. They're the worst shot ever. They just keep shooting the ground as she runs. Yeah, she gets she gets to Canix. They're all shooting at them. She the- also gets what I, I always, I like pointing out to Laura on uh, TV shows, is the is the pretty girl cut. Like when you have actresses that you clearly don't want to make them look too ugly. The the only injuries they can get are kind of top of their forehead, a little bit on their cheek or a little bit under their chin. Maybe, maybe a little cut on the lip. And she's got the little one on her cheek because you don't want to, you don't want to wreck that face. Don't want to mess her up too badly. Yeah. That's the moneymaker. That's the moneymaker. So anyways, but she does have the little pretty girl, a little cut on her cheek. Yeah. The, the clones manage to get back to their van and they start driving away. And uh, we, we get one, New reveal about Dorian as the as the van rips down the road away like top speed they're driving away he's from the He's a galactican. He's a galactican. Might as well be, right? Because so yeah, so the van's running away. Um Dorian starts running really fast. I don't think they've we've indicated ever that he can run really fast, but I mean, he runs he's a robot. He, he runs really what fast. Top speed is. He catches up to the van and then apropos of nothing, flips it like it's a like a plastic cup. Yeah. He gets it behind it and just kind of like grabs the bumper and like hurls it in the air. Yeah. It flips over and explodes it in kills a everyone. massive explosion. They're like, well, case closed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually did like this. They they watch Dorian chase down this van and flip it. And it cuts back to Kenix. And he's just like, why hasn't he done that before? Which is just like all of our questions. Yeah. You could do this the whole time. Well, he did break through a wall one time. That is true. He Kool-Aid manned that one time. That's right. He Kool-Aid manned that one time. Anyway, our uh, medium psychic or... Petite psychic on a good day. <laughs> she recovers enough to testify. 
Avery's convicted. Maldonado gets to gloat over him being like, ah, I got you after all, sucka. And um, we kind of get a couple character beats at the end in, in that Dorian, midway through the episode while she was recovering, found out that Maya, Maya the psychic's parents had died. That's why she got the Cerebrix procedure because she wanted to talk to her parents. But while she was recovering in hospital, her house burnt down, so she never got to talk to her parents. Yeah. Um, but he finds a bag of evidence from the arson investigation of her house and kind of gives her an old doorknob to her house. And we watch her touch it. And she starts talking to her dead parents. Yeah. And up until this point, the psychic stuff, I was just like, oh, this could just be a quirk. Like, we're never committing to the idea that there's an afterlife and ghosts and psychics in this world. But I really felt like at this point, I'm like, almost two minutes committing to this idea of a, like a literal afterlife and a literal ability to talk to ghosts within the context of the show. Yeah. Oh, no, they, they go hard into it. It's like, it is shown that she's kind of kooky, but she's 100% accurate all the time. And at the end, it's like, oh, no, she gets to talk to her parents. So that's what she does. It's interesting. Even when she said she talked to the dead witness who said she saw Avery, I'm like, you know, maybe she has some sort of ESP or something or like she can see in the past. Like maybe there is something there, but this definitely seems to imply in this show, the supernatural is also a possibility, which is not, I don't think good or bad. I just thought it was a interesting and kind of bold choice for a pretty grounded, not super grounded, but like fairly grounded science fiction show. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's a ghost episode. I mean, now coming right down and I think anything can happen at this point. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And then uh, as you've hinted at Dorian and Stahl get their little emotional moment where they watch a soccer game together and drink. Yeah. Kenix and Kenix and her watch a soccer game. They drink some whiskey. Uh, Early in the episode, uh, Maya mentioned she had some vision of, of like the smell of bourbon and people running. And that whole payoff is that like they watch a soccer game together and have some bourbon. Like, I guess they're uh, a couple now. The amount of time they've invested to this in terms of screen time, their love story is not, it's not very much, but it feels like it's a nonstop poking. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, they're in love, right? They're in love, right? It's like, okay, okay well, okay, sure, sure. Let's do something with so. it then. I guess so. They're in love. Fine. Yeah. What do you want from us? I know. Yeah. <laughs> so then those are those two episodes. You're right. It does feel like, it's not that they're poking the characters. It's like they're poking the viewer. It's like, yeah. don't you, don't you think they're in love? And we're like, I sure i don't care i know it's like well it's like just make them be in love it doesn't change anything no not at all so i don't know very very weird all right jordan let's let's maybe wrap this up i guess and get to some ratings and uh close out the show the bends what do you think i don't think this is a great episode i think it's got a lot of the good and bad that this show sort of has fart joke aside i liked rudy i'm gonna give this a higher ranking than i think it deserves i'm gonna give this a seven out of ten just because i like rudy now, I think this could have been a really actually good episode if they had just committed and said it's literally just his episode. But other than that, it's it's an okay episode. I just, and part of it, though, is I haven't watched the show in a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, this show's all right. Yeah, no, uh, you're not wrong. It's funny. When I watch them, they kind of go by in a breeze and they're not bad. But then when I have to think about them, it can get a little rough and tumble. Like, just like, why did that happen? This show is a little bit like reading a Stephen King book. While you're reading the book, you're like, this is really fun, and this is a real page-turner. And then at the end, you stop, and you think, you're like, wait a minute, why did any of that happen? Magic? That's the reason? <laughs> and you go, that's not very good, but it's just too late. You've already read that 600-page book. That's a little bit what this show's like. Um, I'm really torn on what to give this episode. I, I definitely like the Rudy bits. I wish they would have committed more to more of a Rudy-centric episode. They yeah. really didn't. I'm, I'm going to go right down in the middle and just give it a five. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because it's good or bad. I just... Can't help but feel indifferent to it. All right. Anyway, um, let's move on to Blood Brothers. 
This episode, again, it's not even that much worse than the other episode. I mean, there's a lot of just kind of silly plot holes, but uh, it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just thought it was kind of an episode that when we're going to talk about another show down the line, I'll never remember this episode. So I'm just going to give it a five and a half. Five and a half. Fair enough. It's funny. I maybe feel almost the same about these two episodes. And in fact, their probably biggest mistakes are the same. Like if they had made this a Captain Maldonado episode. Agreed. It would have worked. The weakest points were the times we had to spend time with Kenix and Dorian with the sole exception of going to see Dorian's apartment. Right. And seeing that robot uh, naked from the waist down. I guess the same is true of the previous one where I got to see that robot's uh, head ripped off. Well, you're right, though. These are really two episodes where we're going to be uh, learning a little bit more about the supporting cast, but they don't really want to do it either because, I don't know, there's an idea that the viewers will leave if we don't see these two main characters, or there's a worry that these aren't strong enough characters to carry their own episodes. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because they seem to not want to go for it and pull back, you get episodes that just feel like they're not entirely realized. I mean, I think because I get to see the naked MX Mm -hmm. and... And I don't know why, and I'm sorry to everyone, especially you, Jordan. I really like the idea of, uh, I really love the joke, medium psychic, (laughs) petite psychic on a good day. I don't know why. It tickles me nonstop. I'm going to give this a six. All right. That's, I think that, I think that sums it up. Yeah. What what is it? What do you think this show's hitting so far? Like on a basic average? Because here's the thing. I, I wouldn't mind seeing what the computer says, because I think on average, it's probably a, if not a better show, the best show we've seen. Even though if I, if you actually had me talk about it, I don't think it's my favorite show. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like the production value is the production best. value wise, hundred percent the best. I I think the writing is a bit. The actors is great. The production value is great. The writing is really what's letting it down for the most part. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's probably certainly one of the better shows we've seen. I am I'm not sure if I'm ready to commit to calling it the best, but you could be correct. Um, anyway, let's go to the Continuum Drag Computer. And uh, I'll tell you what the ratings are right now. We haven't booted this guy up in a while, so give me a second to... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to hear that dot matrix printer again. <laughs> Flip it on and off a couple of times, see if it'll power back on. Man, we never go back. We never turn this computer on anymore. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, it took about 25 minutes of updates to get the computer running again, but... Uh, I think I think we're almost ready here to see what the current score is. All right, Jordan. The computer says the series is averaging at 6.5. Oh, 6.5. It's actually lower than I thought. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's falling. I mean, that, if I think I, back, I, I think that's about right. I, I think you're right. That, that is probably, it, it, it's a weird thing. It's hard to describe because it's like, there's something that's keeping this from being a great show. And I think you're right. It's It's the writing. Yeah, sadly, I think it's true. It's the writing. Yeah. All right, Jordan. Well, uh, I guess that about wraps it up for the episode. If you want to talk to us about Almost Human or really, I guess anything, we're, we've got time. Well, who are we kidding? No, I, I only want to hear about Almost Human. All right, fine. <laughs> you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And I will say, for the Instagram and Twitter this week, there's going to be some great gifts. Yeah, naked robot. Naked guaranteed. robot. Robot head getting ripped off. Mm-hmm. There's some fun, fun stuff in this uh, these episodes, so it's going to be good. Uh, you can follow those accounts uh, at Continuum Drag. Um, but I guess that's it for the show. Jordan, thanks for doing this with me. And listener, I'll see you next week. What do you think? This is a medium episode or a petite? Oh, I think this is a petite episode. <laughs> <laughs>
Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>